This episode of the Nerd Cave Retro is brought to you by Audible.com. Get a free audiobook download and a 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com slash nerdcave. Over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. You're listening to the Nerd Cave Network. programs and welcome back to another episode of the nerd cave retro show my name is jason robbins and i'm derek diamond so uh today was getting taxes uh together day for me so which is which is a fun day out of the year i would say probably the funnest of days and uh, i also got to see earlier today i went and saw uh, a wrinkle in time which i thought was okay it was pretty good uh, I don't know if you saw that yet. So uh, how was your week, Mr. Derek? Well, I have not seen Wrinkle in Time yet. I actually haven't really read any reviews about it. Not from lack of interest. I just haven't really heard anything about it. So you'd say it was okay? Yeah, it was pretty good. I mean, I read the book when I was a kid. And, uh, you know, it's been such a long time that I don't really remember much from the book. Mm-hmm. But uh but I, I thought it was okay. You know, it, it's not something I'll watch all the time, but just to see, it, it was fine. Okay. It, it didn't blow me out My, of the seat or anything. I, I don't go expecting, like, the greatest movie you've ever seen, but, you know, it was okay. Yeah. I, I'd recommend it. Yeah, I might, I might check it out once it comes out, you know, like on video and whatnot. Um, I actually haven't been. Last movie I think I saw was, was Black Panther, which wasn't too long ago, so it, it hasn't been forever since I've been to the movies, but yeah, I finally got to um, see that last weekend too. That was really good. Yeah, uh, it was very, very good. Um, big thing for me, I'll actually show everyone is that I finally finished this. Sweet. This <laughs> is my movie script that I've been working on, uh, off and on for, you know, the past several months. Uh, actually had a mutual friend of ours, Steve Wise, come over to my house last week, and we had a pretty big brainstorming session. I really liked some of his ideas, so I, I took some of them, you know, tweaked them a bit, you know, added in my own little flair to it, and uh, as of about 3 p.m. yesterday, it is finished, awesome. and I'm pretty happy with it, so... Now I just got to figure out what to do next. <laughs> I, I, I got to read it. Uh, you sent it to me last night. Derek sent it to me and sent me a text message. What it was about nine thirty when you texted yeah. me, and I was literally laying in bed in misery because <laughs> I went. Uh, we went over to a friend's house and had dinner, and they had uh, shrimp fajitas. And I knew I should have stopped at one. I knew it. I knew as soon as I bit into the second fajita, because I was just like. Ooh, that that was so good. I think I'm gonna have another one. <laughs> that was a huge mistake, man. Like I just can't eat like I used to when I was younger. I, I'm a 40 year old man, and I I need to do better when it comes to eating because I was literally laying in bed in misery when you texted me, and I was just like, I'll read it tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that the Mexican food can fill you up though. Oh god. Like, it, it's, it's deceptively filling. Yeah, because you and eat the, it. The thing, you're so hungry, and you eat it so fast, and you're just like, mm, I could eat some more. And then when you have the opportunity to have more, and not like at a restaurant when you have like a finite amount of food on your plate, when you're eating it mm-hmm. at someone's house, and they're just like, go get some more, man. We made plenty. And you're just like, I'm going to eat all the food. And then you're on your way home just like, I've made a grave mistake. <laughs> uh the second fajita was a bad choice. Yes, it was. But the the thing with Mexican restaurants, the things that always get me are the chips. Yeah. I eat so many chips and salsa <laughs> or if I get the queso dip, I'm already full by the time I get my entree. Yeah. But I know I have to eat the entree, which I usually get with with some rice. And by the end of that, I'm having to be carted, you know, out of the restaurant <laughs> and then into my car. It's like, oh, I can't eat any more food. And then the disgusting I'm never thing doing I this do, again. the disgusting thing that I do is at a Mexican restaurant is not only do I eat like, you know, the equivalent of like three bags of chips 
and salsa. I eat my regular meal and then I take the leftover chips. No matter how full I am, I'll take the leftover <laughs> chips and scrape the <laughs> remains off my plate with the chips. And I'm just like, uh, like shoving it down my throat. <laughs> I'm so miserable, but I can't, I have to keep eating more. Yeah. It's awful. Mexican food is in that and Chinese food, man. You, I go to a Chinese oh. buffet and it's deceptive how much you're actually eating until you, till like, you know, cause it takes like, what does it take? Like 20 minutes for your brain to realize that you're full. So you'll mm-hmm. eat like four times the amount of food that you're supposed to eat. And then by the time your, your brain, your stomach, your brain catches up with your stomach. It's just like, I have done something awful. But that was my night. Food is so good. And I've, uh, I've definitely been a little gassy today. So yeah, it's probably, you know, <laughs> it's probably not going to be uh, good later. <laughs> Well, that's one of the unfortunate side effects, but it's yeah. it's worth it. It's, Mexican food is so good. Uh, but uh, but let's go ahead and we'll move into the news for this week. So this week we are celebrating the one year anniversary of the Nintendo Switch. Yay! Yay! Probably one I wish of we the... could shoot out confetti and oh, fireworks. No. <laughs> and I think it was, I still maintain that the, the Nintendo Switch is the best piece of hardware I bought last year. Easy. I would agree with that. You know, I was able to get one uh, at launch. I, I still remember I was working a college baseball tournament the weekend that it came out because it came out on a Friday and I had ordered it through Amazon and I set my phone to get an alert, an alert whenever the uh the switch was delivered i got the alert around 11:30 that morning and literally i dropped what i was doing i said i've got to go to my apartment because this is before I, I lived in my house but i flew home grabbed the switch brought it to work and played it for like an hour before the actual game started and since then i've loved it you know breath of the wild is I think it's cemented its place as my second favorite Zelda game behind Ocarina of Time. It's just that feeling that you get when you walk out onto the the top of the cliff and you see yeah. the Great Plateau and you just see all this open area. It's breathtaking. Yeah. And the gameplay is great. The story is, is to me, even a little underrated because I don't even hear people really talk about the story. I love the dynamic seeing how Link interacts with the four original Guardians uh, or the four champions, I should say. Yeah. Um, it, it was just, it was really good. And, you know, Mario Kart 8 Deluxe was great. Uh, Mario Odyssey, next to Mario 64, is my favorite of the 3D Mario games. Mm-hmm. And there's there's more stuff coming out for the Switch that, you know, we'll talk about here in a second. But I, I've loved it. Oh, it's and I, been I everything even... that the, the Wii and the Wii U were not. Oh, oh yeah. And I didn't even know there was a new Donkey, uh, Donkey Kong Country game coming out. Mm-hmm. And I uh, saw that uh, a week or two ago, and I was like, "Whoa!" Uh, I guess they, uh, they, if they're having this come out, I guarantee you we're getting a, a Metroid sometime this year. I guarantee it. E three can't get here soon enough. I know. I bet Metroid it's, it's, is going to be the big holiday release this year. Could be. Very well could be, but ha- what, what's been your impression of the Switch? Because I know you got yours uh, a little bit later, Yeah. but ha- how, how have your impressions with it been? Oh, I could not be happier with it. Uh, you know, just the, the, the AAA titles as far as Zelda, Mario, you know, Mario Kart, those are must-haves for the system. If you're going to get a Nintendo Switch, those are the big three to get right now. You know, I but I haven't played Splatoon or anything like that. I hear how good it is, but... Just, mm-hmm. I, I haven't played it, but uh, but I also got uh, Blaster Master Zero off the uh, the Nintendo Store, and that's been really good. And um, just the, the amount of uh, you know indie titles, you know cheap titles that you can get that are good for the Nintendo Switch, all the stuff that's going to be coming. And I know that you know I, I feel like you know it, it was very top heavy with all the good games that came out. And, you know, at launch and in the first year of the Nintendo Switch, the second year might be a little bit lax 
but I'm okay with that because there's a plenty to get us through. Even if they don't come out with Metroid this year, if they wait till, you know, 2019 or so, I'm okay with that because, you know, if the second year can be a little bit lax on, on the first party titles, but I think by the time we get to the, the end of this year into 2019, we should really be getting a lot of news as far as, you know, good first party titles like Metroid and stuff like that, possibly another Mario, 2D Mario coming, um, and third party stuff. Like, I'm, I, I, I heard a rumor that, um, uh, what's the name of it? Uh, uh, the Rockstar game, the Red Dead, Red Dead Redemption 2 might be coming out on the Switch. And, I'm excited for that because I loved Red Dead Redemption. And if I can lay yes. in my bed at night and play Red Dead Redemption 2, I'll be a happy boy. I didn't hear about that. That would Oh, that would be awesome. Oh yeah. I know it's just a rumor, you know, there's yeah. like, I'm don't take it take everything I say with a grain of salt, but I listen to a lot of podcasts and I heard a rumor that uh, Red Dead Redemption may come out on the on the Switch, so if that happens, I'll be very happy about that. But I think there's going to be a lot of third party support coming out for the Switch very very soon. If Nintendo drops that little bit of news at E3, people are going to lose their mind. <sighs> they will, dude. People are ready for Red Dead Redemption too. I don't know if you ever played the first one, but that was probably. Mm -hmm. Other than, I think Mass Effect 2 and Red Dead Redemption were probably my two favorite experiences on the Xbox, Xbox 360. Yeah, Red Dead Redemption was definitely up there. I, I didn't play it until a little bit later after it had been out for a while. Mm -hmm. But the Rockstar games are really good. Um, another one, if you haven't ever played it, you should check out L.A. Noir. It's actually yeah, been re-released for the mm -hmm. Switch. Great game. Yeah, I was Absolutely actually thinking about game. picking that up. I haven't gotten it yet. I've been a little light on money because of a lot of all the traveling and stuff I've had to do and, and I, all the traveling I have coming up in the next month. So hopefully by the time mm -hmm. my birthday gets here, maybe uh, maybe I'll hit up the in-laws or something and <laughs> see if, I, <laughs> if they'll give me some Switch games for, for my birthday. Oh, you never know. That'd be nice. But like, to kind of segue into our, our second news story, I had those same concerns where – you know, Mario and Zelda both came out in year one of the Switch. Yeah. So I was like, where do they go from here? Mm. So Nintendo Direct or Nintendo dropped a Nintendo Direct last week. And uh, Nintendo is not going away anytime <laughs> soon. This comes to us from NintendoLife.com. Following the brief yet packed Nintendo Direct Mini back in January, we entered this month's proper-sized Nintendo Direct with equal amounts of excitement and anticipation. What we got were a handful of rumors proved true, including South Park, The Fractured Butthole, and Crash Bandicoot Insane Trilogy, which I'm really excited about. I'll probably actually trade in the PlayStation version and get it for the Switch because I'd prefer to play it on that. Wow. Uh, surprises, tons of support for Splatoon 2, and the reveal we'd all been waiting for, which I personally think is going to be the big holiday release for the Switch, a new Super Smash Brothers. That's awesome. Now, a lot of people think this is going to be a port from the Wii U version, but I don't think so. Because they've had plenty of time to work on this. From the brief descriptions that you could see, like you could see even on the main thumbnail of this article, it's got Link from Breath of the Wild. Yeah not the classic green tunic look. So I personally think that this is going to be a brand new game. But other games uh, that they've confirmed, uh, Captain Toad Treasure Tracker, which should be a really fun puzzle game, Dark Souls Remastered, Luigi's Mansion will be coming out, uh, being remade for the 3DS, which was kind of an underrated game. It was really short, but I enjoyed it for what it was. A game that I love the N64 version of this, so this one should be fun too. Mario Tennis Aces for the Switch should be a lot of fun. So a lot of stuff coming up with Nintendo. They The Direct was great. You know, I, I didn't get to see it live, unfortunately, but as soon as the Smash Brothers announcement dropped, I was like, the, Nintendo, they, they know what they're doing now. I think they're finally on track. Oh, yeah, definitely. And um, <clears throat> I was looking at some of the other stuff that's coming out. Uh, for the Nintendo Switch. I want to check out this game, Little Nightmares. Mm -hmm. I've heard a lot about this game. And uh, if if 
I get it. If I can get it soon and play it, I might actually do. Uh, I want to do a um, a review uh, on some Switch games, and I, I'd like to do a re-review of uh, uh, Blaster Master uh, for Blaster Master Zero. And if I could do Little Nightmares, that'd be awesome to do uh, some reviews of those because, like, I've talked about Blaster Master a couple of uh, episodes back. If you've got a Switch and you got 10 extra bucks, go on the Nintendo Switch store, get Blaster Master Zero because it is such a fun throwback to Blaster Master and made it even better. So I've had such a good time playing that game. I want to get Derek to play it too so we can both do a dual review of it. I I will give you my word, and I will say it publicly on this show. I will get the game this week. Fantastic! It's only ten bucks. You can't go wrong with ten bucks. That's, yeah, that's a that's a lot of fun. It's like it took me five hours to get through it, or a little over five hours. So you know, it's like two dollars an hour of entertainment. Yeah. So that's, I think that's worth it. Oh, for sure. <laughs> but uh, for ready sure. to, we can actually uh, go into this month in video game history. Uh, let's see. In March of 1982, Atari releases the Atari 2600 version of Pac-Man. 12 million cartridges are produced, 7 million are sold. It's believed to be one of the causes of the North American video game crash of 1983, which is funny because they produced 12 million cartridges, but there were only 8 million 2600s out in the public. <laughs> they thought Pac-Man was going to be such a system seller that they produced millions more than they actually needed. A little bit of overconfidence on their part. A little bit. Hey, I, I've heard about the North American video game crash of 83, but I'll be honest, I didn't really know that much about it until you know, I was looking up uh, articles to put for this month in gaming history. It's a pretty interesting story. Oh, yeah, and, and everybody kind of likes to point at not only E.T., but Pac-Man, but there was so much going on at the time. And actually, we could do a whole episode on the what caused the video game crash, because not only was it overconfidence, but, you know, Nintendo came along in, in 85 or 86, whenever it was released, whenever it made its American debut, you know, they were kind of... Uh, stringent with their policies as far as what games could come out for the system. That's why they had the Nintendo seal of quality, which actually I forgot to point out if everybody can look behind Derek right now, he has his super Mario brothers three poster <laughs> signed by Charles Martinet. I've got mine up above my, uh, my head here. So you can't see it on screen, but it, it's right in my line of sight. Um, but yeah, it's uh, you know Nintendo came along. They had you had to have that Nintendo seal of quality. You had to go through Nintendo, and plus you could if you were a publisher, you could only do three titles a year, and that's why um, I think it was uh, was it Konami or it was either Konami or um, I can't remember who it was, but Ultra who did games like. Uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and stuff like that. They were actually a subsidiary. Of, I think it was Konami. I could be uh, could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure it was Konami to kind of get around Nintendo's you know stringent policies. But before that, like back on the Atari, just anybody can make a game. Like you know Johnson and Johnson would make a game, or you know everybody was trying to get in on the video game market. So you had this flood of just crap video games that came out in the market and with no real way of knowing what's good and what's not good because we didn't have the internet back then and didn't even have like video game magazines back then. You just walked into the store and you saw, you know, some crazy game and you bought it and then it sucked and, and there were more sucky games than there were good games. So that's what really caused the crash is there was no kind of oversight on that kind of stuff. And it just, you know, people got overconfident and just too many crap games out there. And Nintendo came along and said, we got this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a really fascinating story. You know, everyone should should Google it. And I, I like the idea of dedicating, you know, maybe a whole episode to what really caused it. I'd like I think to that would be somebody, a lot of fun. If we could get like the video game, uh, the gaming historian on the show. 
Uh, oh, I think that'd be, that'd be awesome. Get him on here and talk about that. I, I might try to hit him up again on Twitter, or if anybody knows him, <laughs> Norm, the, the 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 gaming historian, please hit him up and let him let him know that we want to get him on the show so we can have just dedicate an episode to the the crash of '83. That would be awesome. Also in March of 1993, Nintendo releases Kirby's Adventure. It introduced Kirby's ability to take on the powers of enemies he has eaten, which would go on to become a staple of the franchise. I know you were never a huge Kirby fan. I've actually never played Kirby's Adventure, and I didn't even know that this was the game that introduced that ability. Like, I remember playing uh, Kirby's Dream Land for the Game Boy way back in the day, but you could never gain the enemy's abilities. You would just eat your enemy or you could spit it out in the shape of a star. So I thought that was a that was a pretty interesting fact because that's kind of what Kirby's known for. I mean, if you play as Kirby in Super Smash Brothers, his main thing is if you you know swallow Link, then you get the little green hat and the sword. If you swallow Mario, you get the ability to shoot fireballs. So I I thought that was kind of an interesting take. And this was a game that I actually wouldn't mind trying because. Like I said, I've never played any of the other Kirby games besides the original Dreamland. Yeah, if I could find one for the NES just out in the wild for a couple of bucks, I'll pick it up. But I don't really have any uh, nostalgia for Kirby whatsoever. Yeah, that that just that was a title that just completely just passed me by. It just didn't look like anything I would be interested in at the time, so I just didn't even give it time of day. Yeah. But everybody says they're great games. Even though they're kind of mm-hmm. easy, they're still fun. I mean, I'll give it a try, but you mm-hmm. know, I'm not going to go out of my way to play Kirby, <laughs> Kirby's Adventure. <laughs> yeah, but I know we have nostalgia for this next game. Oh, yes. On March 19th of 1994, Super Metroid for the Super Nintendo is released, distributed by a 24 megabit cartridge, the largest of its time, called The Best Game of All Time by Electronic Gaming Monthly in 2002. I'm not going to say it's the best game of all time, but it's definitely up there, probably in the top 10. Mm-hmm. Definitely one of, if not, if someone made an argument that this was the greatest Super Nintendo game ever yeah. made, I think you could present a good case. Yeah. But I wouldn't call it the best game of all time because that that's, there's so many factors have to go into what is really the greatest video game of all time. It's the same thing with movies, you know, because yeah. everyone is subjective. Everyone That's has a, yeah. their own genre they like. It, it, it's tough to say, but I would definitely put it as far as best Super Nintendo games of all time. It's definitely in the top five. Yeah, and if you ask me, which would you rather have? You know, like a, a desert island situation. You can either have Super Metroid or Metroid for the NES. Which one would you rather have? I'd rather have Super Metroid. I mean, as like much as I like the original Metroid, Super Metroid was just it was everything you it, it was everything you wanted on the Super Nintendo. It took the original game and just graphics were better, the sound chip was better, it, you know, the 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 graphics and the physics in the game were just just almost perfect. Um mm-hmm. and and it's weird cuz I actually have been playing this the last few weeks on on an emulator. And um, was thinking about actually doing a review of it, of it, not just, but do a dual review of it and regular, the first Metroid, do kind of like a a comparison of the two. Mm -hmm. I think that'd be fun to do. Uh, We could actually do that together if you wanted to. Um, If you want to maybe set that for like, give us like a month or two to kind of play both games and see, you know, which one, you know, not really, we don't have to finish them, but definitely play them a good bit to see which one we think is better of the two. Because I think once once it moved into the, the GameCube era and it became like a first person shooter type of thing, uh, it kind of, I don't, I put those in a kind of different category. Like, don't be, don't get me wrong. I love Metroid prime and all that stuff, but mm-hmm. those are a complete different experience than the 2D side-scrollers. Yeah. No, I, I think that's a great idea. Because I've only, funny story, only briefly played the NES Metroid. I've played the crap out of Super Metroid, but ne- never quite got into the original one, so it would be interesting to actually go back and and attempt to play through it. Yeah, I had the original. It was one of the, actually the first games I ever bought m- with my own money. When I first got my Nintendo as a kid, 
Uh, I bought Metroid. I still, I remember, I remember the day I bought it, I was in Kmart <laughs> and I had been saving my money for like months and I bought it and the game is so good, but it's so hard that I remember the only way I could finish that game was with the Justin Bailey cheat code. And the only way I knew that was the kids at school were like, dude, you got to go home and play Metroid and put in the code Justin Bailey and you get to play this chick in her swimsuit. <laughs> like, okay. And I went home and did it. And of course, they're Samus Aran in her swimsuit. Yeah. Like, then you get to play the whole last level of the game. So I was like, eh, it's cool. And it Neat. blew our minds too that, we're that, that Samus was a woman. Like, yeah. wow, women can shoot laser guns too. It's awesome. <laughs> I'm telling you, now is the time that Nintendo needs to jump on getting a Metroid movie made. Yeah, or a TV series on Netflix. It would be it would be so good. They're missing either out. one would be great. Oh yeah, it would be so good. But our last bit of this month in video game history for this week's episode on March 21st, 1999, Pokemon Snap is released for the Nintendo 64. This was a game that I reviewed several weeks ago. Uh, Pokemon spawned a lot of spinoffs, some good, some not so good. <laughs> but this is one of the better ones. You know, it's, it's simple concept. You ride in this machine and you take pictures of Pokemon. It sounds dumb, but it's one of the most addictive games that I've ever played and one of my favorite games for the Nintendo 64. You know, I might get it for emulator and, and see what it's about because you talked about it and how fun it is i'd like to go check it out because i've never played a pokemon game <laughs> in my life i don't i yep i wouldn't even know where to start if i tried to play a pokemon game but this one sounds like one i could ease into to kind of ease me into the world of pokemon yeah it's i would be very interested to hear your thoughts as someone who's never played a pokemon game period yeah i think it'd be fun I might do that. I'll let you know. I'll, I might go and uh, yep. download it tonight and give it a whirl. For sure. But Derek, have you been listening to anything, any kind of books or anything the last few weeks? Yeah, let, let's talk about some books. Let's For you, that. the listeners of the Nerd Cave Retro podcast, Audible is offering a free audiobook download with a free 30-day trial to give you the opportunity to check out their service. Now, Audible's got a ton of books and they have every genre you can think of. How you many like do they have, Derek? <laughs> <laughs> oh, <laughs> how many? <laughs> I feel like I'm on match game. <laughs> but you no, know, they have fiction, nonfiction, uh, sci-fi. They've got a ton of Star Wars books that we've talked about You know, throughout the various episodes that we've done. They have nonfiction, fantasy, romance, uh, gaming. They have books from the Halo series, Gears of War, Mass Effect, World of Warcraft. Any genre you can think of, Audible has. And if you're always on the go like I am, Audible is a great service to have to be able to continue to read without having to sit down and read a physical copy. And if you want to do that, just go to audibletrial.com slash nerdcave. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash nerdcave for your free audiobook download and 30-day free trial. And this week we're going to be talking about... I think everybody knows what that music is, especially a child of the 90s. Oh, for sure. This week, I will be reviewing one of the most popular games for the Nintendo 64, GoldenEye. Yeah. GoldenEye is a first-person shooter video game developed by Rare and based on the 1995 James Bond film GoldenEye. It was released for the Nintendo 64 video game console in August of 1997. Uh, over 10 or no 20 years ago actually wow, years that's ago. insane to think about 21 years the ago game, yeah oh. i keep thinking <laughs> i know i keep thinking the 90s were a decade ago I but know. i was like nope it's 20 speaking of the 90s uh, I, I hate to derail you for a second but have you started what i when i was laying in bed in complete misery last night i started watching that show everything sucks on netflix have you seen that yet i have not it's not that great, but it's kind of fun because it's all about the 90s. So I'd give it a whirl, especially if you're a, a child of the 90s like we were. 
So are you saying that a show called Everything Sucks sucks? Yeah, I mean, it doesn't suck. <laughs> I don't want to say that, but it's definitely a little melodramatic for my taste. Uh, I would just love the irony if that were the case. Yeah. <laughs> so to talk a little bit about GoldenEye, I've used this analogy the last couple of weeks. When you mention a console, there are always three or four games that are synonymous with that console. Like I think it's safe to say with the NES, you've got the original Mario, Zelda, Duck Hunt, uh, Contra, Cas- uh, Castlevania. Mm-hmm. With the Super Nintendo, you've got Mario World, Link to the Past, Super Metroid. And then you go on to the N64, you've got Mario 64, Ocarina of Time, Banjo-Kazooie. GoldenEye is right up there. And my first memory of GoldenEye, because I didn't get this game right when it came out. I didn't play it until probably close to a year after it came out. But I remember in the Nintendo Power magazine, they would have the top 10 list of top-selling Nintendo games for that month. And GoldenEye, when it came out, it was number one every week for over a year. Yeah. And and that was what sparked the because I like I like James Bond, but I was never like a, a diehard Bond fan growing up. So I was like, I've got to check this game out if it's really that popular. Well, that was the and thing of course about the game is you didn't have to be a James Bond fan. So it's by far probably one of the best licensed games ever. I'll say that it's probably the best licensed game that's ever been made. I agree with that 100 percent. Because if you think about it, more often than not, the licensed games turn out to really not be that great. Yeah. But GoldenEye was was awesome. And I thought it actually adapted the movie fairly well, which a lot of which a lot of adapted games don't do. Now, going back and replaying it, because I've had the copy for a while, but I haven't really sat down and played it. And then when I, you know, I posted the poll out on the Nerd Cave Facebook page and GoldenEye won in a landslide, (laughs) which kind of shocked me. So I was like, well, I guess I'm going to be reviewing GoldenEye. So I went back and dove in. And I will say, for the most part, it does still hold up. Now, there are a couple of things that were kind of meh about it. Number one being the graphics, but I also kind of say that a lot of the N64 graphics weren't that great because Ocarina of Time graphic wise does not hold up. Like it's not a very yeah. great looking game. I would because say that with the N64 most, you had all the. Yeah, go ahead. I'd, I'd say that for most of the N64 games, especially that era of the Nintendo 64 and the PlayStation, that polygonal graphic stuff just it doesn't hold up and that's why i'm kind of apprehensive if they make a a mini in 64 because i just don't think that stuff holds up as much as people think it does and that's a very good point reading some of the schematics about it you know standard definition wasn't around back then Mm. but but playing this game especially on a high-res tv was not a very pleasant experience. <laughs> and I found out that you want to know what the resolution that this game was made in? Uh, what, like probably 240 by 64 or something like that. You're actually not too far off. It was made in 320 by 240. Ooh. Yeah. That, ugh. and the, yeah. And the, <laughs> the frame rate drops pretty badly, especially when you've got, if three or more enemies show up on screen, the frame rate drops pretty significantly, and it's pretty frustrating. Well, and do, the, you, do you think it would have been better if you'd have played this on a CRT television and not played, you know, the campaign, but played like a four-player co-op? Not, well, you know, four-player, you know, player versus player battle, mm-hmm. because I think that's what ninety percent of the nostalgia for the game is. And that was going to be one of my later points is that oh, to sorry. me, the, the <laughs> multiplayer. Oh, no, you're, you're good. I mean, you, you had mentioned that, you know, you spent hours and hours playing GoldenEye. Oh, and yeah. I bet a lot of that was with the multiplayer. Well, yeah, because uh, the uh, one of my best friends from high school, you know, his house, they had one of the old school big screen TVs, you know, back in the mm-hmm. day. So you could play four player and still be able to see everything like really good. So it yeah. was really fun to play four pe- four player, and we did that a lot. Like there was many weekends spent 
playing Goldeneye. Mm -hmm. yeah, that that's I think the most popular thing, honestly, about Goldeneye is not the the campaign, but it's everybody I know that played Goldeneye back in the day. They jump right to the multiplayer. Yeah. Now, unfortunately, I didn't. I played the multiplayer a little bit after I got into the game originally, but by the time I did, it had kind of died off a little bit. So I only got to play the multiplayer a handful of times. But, you know, I still very much enjoyed the campaign because even if it's a straightforward adaption of the movie, it can still be fun yeah. if you have good gameplay. And I will say, <clears throat> excuse me, the controls were a little bit to get used to. Uh, it was a little clunky at first, and God, we've said it so many times, but God, that controller sucks. <laughs> yeah, it, it wasn't the greatest. I mean, it was a necessary step from you know the controllers of you know the the Super Nintendo and the Nintendo days. It was the necessary step to go from that to uh, you know the dual analog. And Derek's frozen. Oh, you're back. <laughs> no, okay, good. I was about to say, you didn't break up at all. Oh, wow. Interesting. Right. <laughs> but no, the once you get used to it, the controls really aren't that bad. I went back and read a few reviews, and several people said that they weren't a fan of the controls as far as them not holding up. But yeah. once you get used to it, it's really not that bad. Yeah, that's what I noticed when I was playing. I uh, uh, went back and played Resident Evil 2 was, man, the first... 20 30 minutes of the game were just awful because I couldn't get used to the controller and then once I got used to the controller again it was like all right it's starting to come back to me because you have to retrain your brain to go mm -hmm. from dual analog to a single analog and you're just like what is it's like trying to drive a <laughs> tank with one tread you know broken <laughs> so it's like it's awful pretty much I did want to ask you this because I, I was thinking about it like during the 90s, we had those successful uh, first-person shooters like Doom mm -hmm. and Quake. Was this the first really successful first-person shooter for a console? I think so. Yeah, because I, I remember they had... wasn't Didn't they have Doom? Well, Doom came out for the, the Super Nintendo. And um, I, it was really big as far as computers, but I don't think it did all that well when it was put on a console. I, at least I don't remember it do, doing that well. But, uh, yeah, I think GoldenEye was really the first, you know, first-person shooter that really kind of broke into the, the mainstream. That's what I was thinking, too, because when I think of games like Doom, I associate it with the PC version. Like, I'll be honest, yeah. I didn't even know that there was a Doom for the Super Nintendo. Yeah, and you got to think that, like, this came out in August of 97. Three years later, we had Halo. You know, and you yeah. think of, like, not only the graphical upgrades, but just the, you know, the controller scheme and, you know, the uh, storytelling and multiplayer, how far it came in that three-year span. Mm-hmm. It's crazy to think about, really. Yeah. Like th this really kind of set the standard and really changed the first person shooting and really, I think, put it on the map. And, you know, we, we talked about it being one of the most popular games for the N64. Uh, as far as the reception went, it says, despite low expectations among the gaming media and an unsuccessful showing at E3 in Atlanta, I had no idea it was ever in Atlanta in 97, GoldenEye turned out to be both a critical and a commercial success received very high critical praise and sold more than 8 million units worldwide, which was phenomenal at the time. Like it, newer listeners, you know, or as far as those who might be a little bit younger are thinking, well, it's really not that much. But back then, back then? <laughs> that was yeah. a lot. That was a lot of copies. Well, you got to figure there were probably only 8 million N64s <laughs> at the time. Yeah. So they probably sold one to one as far as consoles mm -hmm. go, consoles go that are out, you know, public owned consoles. So mm -hmm. that's huge for the time. Yeah. I uh, see. It sold more than 8 million units worldwide, making it the third best-selling Nintendo 64 game, only behind Super Mario 64 and Mario Kart 64. Wow. And the game grossed $250 million worldwide. Yeah, Rare was riding high at this time, especially God, the Rare N64 was, era. 
it's a shame what Rare has become because they made some of the greatest games that I've ever played. Oh yeah. But now you you never you never hear about them. Like no. I don't even know what their newest game is. <laughs> I don't either. It's been so long since I've heard the name Rare and like a new game coming out, you know. Their their biggest mistake was when they left Nintendo. Yeah. I mean, doesn't Rare usually just make physics engines at this point is pretty much what they do. I think so. But honestly, I'm I'm not a hundred percent sure. Like I haven't heard of Rare doing I know they made a few games for um Xbox three sixty. But I, the only one I ever played was the Banjo-Kazooie game, which was garbage because it was nothing like the original platformers. Yeah, and I think um, I actually saw something on here. Uh, there was the, the other, um, yeah, it was a claim. That's who I was trying to think of earlier was a claim. It, was, it wasn't Konami that had Ultra that, that put out Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. It was a claim. Uh, you know, uh, Ultra was a subsidiary of a claim, and I think LJN was also. Because mm-hmm. the people that made all the crap LJN games then went on to make great games. So they kind of cut their teeth making crap games and then moved on to better games. But I was looking on here, uh, Turok Dinosaur Hunter, and I heard the other day they were putting out a Turok Dinosaur Hunter, uh, I think 1, 2, and 3. Let me look up real quick. Uh, re-releasing Turok. Really? Yeah. Maybe. Used to love playing that in the arcade. Yeah. Um. Let's see. This is from February twenty fourth on Game Informer. Uh, remastered Turok games hit Xbox next month. Um. But I think it's kind of yeah. They didn't do any kind of like graphical upgrades or anything. It's straight ports of the the Nintendo sixty four Turok games. And I oh think, boy. Oh, and they're asking twenty dollars a piece. I'm like, are you nuts? What? Are you crazy? Nobody's going to pay $20 for Turok, especially that looks like that and plays like that. Are you nuts? Talk about overconfidence. Yeah. I don't think uh, Turok holds the name that they think it does. I mean, I remember Ugh. Turok games. I thought they were fun on the Nintendo 64, but you can't put that out today and ask $20 Ugh. for it. Ugh. <laughs> but anyway, back to Goldeneye. Uh, the gameplay was highlighted for its depth, which I actually, that's something that, you know, playing through it again, I really liked was the replayability because you can go through a mission on, like, say, medium difficulty because mm-hmm. I think there was agent, secret agent, and then double O. Yeah. And then you could unlock the fourth difficulty, double O seven, which was, like, impossible to do. I forgot about that. So it's to me that shows great replayability because I can go through on medium, go through the mission, and then I want to go back and do it on a harder difficulty just to see if I could do it. And it's easily accessible. Like, you know, I love the menu screen where you can just highlight the mission you want to do. You can go back really at any time and play any mission that you want, which I thought was great. Yeah. Uh, But listen to some of these review scores that it was given. Uh, Edge gave it nine out of 10. Game Revolution A minus, IGN 9.7, Nintendo Power 9 out of 10, Gaming Age 9.1 out of 10. Wow, it's got so, a Metacritic score of 96 out of 100. That's so insane. Like, th- <laughs> this is one of the best reviewed games ever. And everyone thinks, you know, they associate licensed games with crap. And yeah. most of them are, but. GoldenEye, to me, is much more than just a licensed game. Like, as far as being successful on that end, this set the standard for first-person shooters. Oh, yeah. And it even said something about here. Uh, it was only... Let's see. Um said something about Halo, because Halo came out... Uh, yeah, it says, Edge stated that GoldenEye 007 st- set the standard for multiplayer console combat until it was surpassed by the release of Halo Combat Evolved in 2001. With its 8 million copies sold, GoldenEye was one of the most significant titles that helped the Nintendo 64 to remain competitive with rival Sony PlayStation, even though the console ultimately lost much of its market share. How crazy is it to think that Halo is almost 20 years old? I know. It's nuts, man. (laughs) 
Like I uh, land parties. <laughs> I oh love man, land parties, man. That was how I spent my Fridays and Saturdays in high school was playing Halo. Oh, that was so fun. You'd go over to your friend's house, bring your we would all bring our own TVs, all bring our own Xboxes, mm-hmm. and we would all get yep. in different rooms. Or we would put the TVs like uh, like in a, a circle and like all sit around in a circle. Like, oh, it was great. <laughs> I miss those days. Yeah. Get go, mad at your friends when they would yeah. watch your screen. Get some get some beer and pizza. <laughs> oh man. <laughs> I wasn't quite old enough for that, but that that came when was it Halo Three and Halo Reach? There there was plenty of beer and pizza with those. Oh yeah, but you know, what what is there else to say about GoldenEye? I mean, it's one of the greatest N sixty four games of all time. One of the most influential games of all time. Um, Rare actually made a spiritual successor to this game uh, called Perfect Dark in two thousand that I'm going to review on a future episode. That's it's not as good as GoldenEye, but it's still a very solid first-person shooter, and I, I'm excited to go back and and revisit that because I felt like that was arguably Rare's most um, underrated game yeah. that they ever made. So um, I'll re- be reviewing that uh, in a few weeks. But as far as GoldenEye goes, you know, this, despite the graphics, which I associate that with most N64 games. I would give this a solid nine out of 10. It wow. still holds up to me. Uh, anybody who wants to collect in 64 games, this is a must have for your collection and uh, yeah, go play it. And I think that's why the Nintendo 64 still sell pretty well too. You know, uh, you can buy, still get Nintendo 64s for pretty cheap and mm-hmm. it already has four player plugins in the front of the console. You don't have to get any kind of peripherals, to to play to play four player, it's just it's automatically built into the system, so it's automatically you know a party machine. So you get yeah. a Nintendo sixty four and a copy of GoldenEye, and you get three other friends together, and you have a pretty fun Saturday night. You know, like that's mm-hmm. just I think that's why it it's held its ground for so long. You know, even though the graphics are probably kind of gross, <laughs> I still think that, you know, years from now, people are still going to be talking about GoldenEye for the Nintendo 64. Because when I think of the Nintendo 64, GoldenEye it comes into my head faster than even, you know, Mario 64. Because I had more time playing GoldenEye than I ever did any... I think I played more GoldenEye than any other Nintendo 64 game. Fantastic. So I I keep it in high regard, even though I haven't played it in 20 years. Uh, I'd like to, but I don't want to tarnish that memory. Because <laughs> I might look at the <laughs> graphics and be like, what? what were we thinking? I mean, d- despite the graphics, it's still a fun game to play. Yeah. So I I would recommend going and giving it another shot because I I was the same. Well, if I'm I gonna play remember it, last week, oh, go if ahead. I'm, if I'm gonna play it, I'm gonna come over to your house and play it <laughs> on an actual N64, not just like emulate it or play it by myself. I'd rather play it with other people and play multiplayer. Well, speaking of that, we are doing the survey panel yes. here in a couple of weeks, so <laughs> I might have to go out and buy a extra N64 controller. And, I can always just bring mine. You know, while, while, <laughs> while everyone else is doing the audio commentaries, we'll play some GoldenEye. Yeah, that'd be fun. <laughs> I'm down for that. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, but that's going to bring the show to a close, unless you got some, part, some final words about uh, GoldenEye. No, I think that pretty much covers it. I still think, you know, it it still holds up for the most part. And anyone who wants to play it should absolutely do it. Awesome. Uh, well, like I said, we're going to be recording two episodes tonight. So anybody uh, watching on Twitch right now or anything, please stick around. We, we're going to take about a two or three minute break to get switched over to the next show. Um, so, uh, Derek, you had a really good interview come out this week. Tell everybody about that show. It was so good. <laughs> So I got the chance to interview Mr. Bill Corbett, who is one of the writers and voice of Crow T. Robot from Mystery Science Theater 3000. Got to chat with him for a few minutes at Pensacon a couple of weeks ago. Super nice guy. Uh, I recommend that anybody go listen to it. It's funny because when I was editing the interview, 
I sounded like I was really tired in the beginning. So I was like, oh, this is going to sound awful. And then, you know, I post it and not just you, but other people have said that was one of the best episodes you've ever done. I was like, oh, I didn't really think so. But but <laughs> it sure. was good, man. It was really yeah. good. It, it was a lot of fun. So definitely go check that out. Uh, this Tuesday, I'll be doing a Facebook Live AMA to celebrate four years of my show. This Saturday actually will be the four-year anniversary of my solo show, which is insane to think about. Awesome. So check check that out uh, this Tuesday, which will be March 13th at 7.30 p.m. Central Standard Time at facebook.com slash Podcast. And I will throw this little shout out there. The reason why we're doing uh, two episodes tonight is because this time next week, I will be in Los Angeles. Sweet. That's, uh, yeah. I, you, um, I'm very jealous because I've never been to actual, like, I've been to LAX for a layover, but mm-hmm. I've never actually been to LA. Hopefully next month I'll get to make a little trip if uh, Mr. Joey Image uh, wants to take me into New York for the day. Maybe I could go visit New York. Um, but yeah, uh, we're, we're, we've both been doing a bit of traveling the last, you know, these last few months. So it's been fun. Yeah. And, I, you know, we've been talking off air about, you know, projects that we're working on. So if those can come to fruition, I think 2018 will be a pretty darn good year. I'm I'm, I'm looking forward to a good year. Something where I can like <laughs> some. I mean, I've had some good stuff happen, but I'm waiting for the for the big, you know, the big thing to happen. That's what I'm waiting on. I need some I need some money. That's what I need. You're waiting. <laughs> you're waiting for is what we in the South call the biggin. The biggin. That's exactly it. <laughs> Um, but actually, this last week, I was on two separate podcasts as a guest. I was on uh, Mr. Jeremy Branch's uh, weekly pop podcast. Uh, go check that out. Um, you can follow him on uh, Twitter, at Jeremy B. Terrible. Um, uh, that was a fun episode to do. We talked about what we could do to make the Oscars better. Uh, that and uh, well, talk about a few other things. And um, I was also on the, the Brownwater Banter podcast. It's at Brownwater B. Uh, you can go listen to that episode. And also, don't, you know, regular episodes of Pop Culture Palette. We got one coming out uh, this, this week. Uh, go check that out. We're going to be talking with Mr. Hammond Chamberlain uh, from who, uh, J, at J Hammond C on Twitter. He's on the Beyond the Playlist podcast. And uh, we're going to be talking to him. That's going to be fun. And, um, yeah, I think that's about it for this week. So uh, anything else you want to throw in before we get out of here? No, I don't think so. I think that does it. Let me make sure the, the music is turned up here, and I will play it. And if you would like to email us, you can email us at nerdcaveretro at gmail.com. We're at nerdcaveretro.com. We're on Instagram and Twitter at nerdcaveretro, uh, at jfunktastic, and at Derek underscore diamond uh, individually. And we're at Facebook at facebook.com slash nerdcaveretro. And Derek, did you did you celebrate Mario Day yesterday, March 10th? I did. I did. Yes, absolutely. Yes. Uh, so I tweeted that out, and uh, I didn't. I didn't know Mario was a day. So that, I guess that's a yearly thing we're going to be doing now. Yeah. So that's awesome. But uh, but tell them what it's all about, Derek. May the way of the hero lead to the Triforce. You've been listening to a Nerd Cave Network production. <laughs>